This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Product marketing inherently is in the middle of a lot of uh, different groups. Just the name, right? Product. So clearly we are interacting with the product teams. That's not just the product managers, but often the engineering teams, data science teams, and other teams in the organization. And then there is the marketing side where clearly we are interacting with the the demand generation team and the branding teams because they all uh, need our input. They all need the messaging and the content that product marketing creates and the strategy that product marketing creates. In a well-run company, that goes beyond that. Usually you have other parts of organizations that interact with product marketing as well. Product marketing requires a versatile skill set and a strong understanding of the various operations in a business. But historically, have businesses underestimated the importance of what product marketing brings to their bottom line? Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Jeremy Bergeron. Our guest today is Labor Ptacic, who's the Vice President of Marketing at Motive, the fleet management and software development company. Labor brings to the conversation more than two decades of product marketing experience and shares why he believes that modern marketing metrics are finally shining a light on the genuine worth of the product marketing department. My first question for you is not marketing related, but I am curious, what kind of music are you listening to right now? What's on your Spotify playlist? What's, what's the latest thing you've been jamming to? Yeah, I'm probably the worst person to uh, ask that question. Uh, my kids would tell you that. Uh, I, I'm honestly listening much less to music these days than I'm listening to ebooks. Uh, I, ah. I spend a lot of time listening to ebooks. Uh, when I'm stuck in traffic, I listen to ebooks. So that's what I do. Okay, I like it. All right. So you, st- you go straight into learning research mode, taking in information. Okay, I, I can respect that indeed. Um, we can talk about a lot of stuff uh, today, Lubor. I mean, you have an awesome background. You've worked at some some very recognizable places. With what's happening in your world right now, as the the VP of marketing there, like, what are you what are you kind of most excited to talk about? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, you know, the stuff we do at Motive is really exciting, right? And it's uh, it's applying technology to uh, a industry that historically has been kind of neglected uh, to a large extent by technology. And to me, that, that's one of the cool things, because at the end of the day, you know, I, I get really excited by the impact the technology has on customers, right? Uh, the, the, the customer stories are the coolest part of the job. And, uh, you know, like there's a lot of important technologies doing important things, uh, like moving money around or making people click on ads. But but is not nowhere near as exciting as you know improving you know the, the safety of people who are actually out there uh, you know delivering our our freight our our packages our goods or whatever else uh, we need to transport right that that's pretty exciting actually okay nice okay so you led me to the next really section which is really for for our audience those who don't know, know motive describe motive and your role as vice president of product marketing there. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so Motif uh, is a leader in uh, automated operations. Uh, uh, and uh, w- what we do is we basically help uh, connecting and automating the operations for uh, companies in the physical economy, right? And physical economy is basically everything that uh, makes, uh, grows, uh, manufactures physical products and services, which is the kind of stuff that we all use in everyday lives, right? Uh, I mean, there's digital economy, which people kind of get, uh, that's getting a lot of press, uh, but but that's not where we live, at least not, not yet, right? And so so we, we live uh, in, in the physical world and, and we need physical goods and services. Um, and uh, um, Motive basically provides ways of connecting uh, all the different uh, vehicles, assets, uh, the, the people involved, uh, collecting data about it, uh, and then applies uh, smart um, uh, machine learning and AI in order to come up with actionable insights and even automation uh, of the different processes that uh, make the physical economy run better. Mm. So how how has routing like specifically been made more efficient for drivers now with Motive's offerings? Like what has it done for routing? Yeah, it, it's not just routing. I mean, that, that's one element um, uh, to it. It's basically everything the drivers have to do, right? Uh, okay. and, and, you know, if you think about the day of the drivers, uh, it, it starts with uh, some kind of pre-trip inspection where they need to make sure that the vehicle is safe and good condition. Then it's the safety during driving, right? Uh, we literally have technology that uh, can uh, observe the drive style of the of the driver and provide right there in real time recommendation. So, you know, you are accelerating too hard or you are braking too hard, cornering too hard, um, as well as, you know, having a camera that can detect that you don't have your seatbelt on uh, or that you are distracted, you are drowsy. Uh, all of that is, is today possible with our uh, AI technology. And uh, we can basically correct it right there on the spot, um, as well as then, you know, maybe do some coaching for the driver and, and all that can be automated. So he's not called, uh, you know, on the red carpet in his HR department or whatever. Uh, he basically gets some some advice like, hey, you know, uh, here is a few areas you should work on. And that seems to be much more sort of received by the drivers and uh, and, and leads much more tangible results. Wow, that's that's brilliant to think about the data like the types of data now that you have access to that essentially just makes the you know a driver's day all that more efficient but also reporting back to you the necessary you know metrics that are going to allow you to give them the kind of training and support they need to make sure they're I mean that's just phenomenal and and the impact of this as you are surely seeing in this world where the shipping of goods and services like this is this is only growing more and more yeah. so the visibility and data you have has got to be super interesting um, Motive was was rebranded, right? Because it was called Keep Trucking initially, and then rebranded Motive. Were you a part of that rebrand? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. That was pretty much uh, d- day one. I got uh, to start at the job. I was told, "Hey, we are rebranding the company." Okay, roll up your sleeves. Um, and uh, it, it was very exciting. I, I mean, here is what led to the rebrand, right? Um, I, I, obviously, the company started uh, initially in the trucking space. Uh, that was kind of the roots. Uh, but over time, uh, more and more customers from other industries were basically using our technology, our products to, to address the same and, and similar types of issues, right? And so at some point, it, it really became more of an inhibitor, the name, even though a lot of people love it, right? And it's kind of, it was a cool name. Uh, it became kind of a barrier because the, the sales rep had to literally start the conversation with, 
you know, we are keep trucking, but uh, we, we understand your construction space just as well, right? Uh, mm. And so that that led ultimately to um, changing the brand, changing the company's name into Motive, uh, which really reflect the kind of customers that we are servicing today. Wow. Was that your first rebrand opportunity in, in your career in marketing or was that an, another just like- No, uh, no? I've been through a whole bunch of these. Uh, I mean, usually if you've been around for a while, you either got acquired or get to acquire somebody. Mm-hmm. And so uh, through acquisitions, I've done a number of rebrands before. Okay. Uh, but this one was kind of unique because you are changing the name of the company deliberately without a you know external trigger like that, which okay. means usually if you are part of an acquisition, uh, the acquired company gives you the template, right? Sure. It gives you the color scheme, the logo, you know, a lot of the messaging is already there. Whereas we were really inventing everything from scratch, which was really exciting. Mm. So what was your approach? Kind of take us into that experience in the early days of what are some of the first things you're doing in terms of supporting the rebrand, leading product marketing now? This is a big, big impact, big decision. What's kind of your approach and your process in the early days of the rebrand? Yeah. Um, so so it, it really all started with uh, a corporate narrative, right, which is a relatively short document that needs to codify what is actually our company's story, right? What is our mission? What is our vision? What is the uh, trend in, in the industry that makes us do what we are doing? Uh, what are some of the problems we are addressing and how are we addressing them, right? Now, as a as a newly arrived uh, VP of product marketing, uh, it's not something I just start making up, but, but literally I had to sit down with the CEO. Uh, we we spent a couple quality days uh, together, um, basically getting all of that on paper and and then you know iterating and making it tighter and, and crisper. And and uh, you know that that document was kind of the foundation to a lot of the communication and messaging that that proliferated through. Everything we created, right? So, so from the website to uh, the press release to uh, all the way to some of the sales collateral. Hmm. How much time did you spend connecting with existing customers in the rebrand? Yeah, qu- quite a bit, right? Um, and um, you want to make sure that, uh, that there's basically several factors that, that you are looking uh, into. One is that, that it's going to work for the customers you are trying to reach, uh, where maybe previously you were having a hard time reaching them, right? Uh, which was probably the easier one because, uh, you know, if, if they already were not in trucking, they were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? <laughs> we, we expected you to do something like that. But then you also want to make sure that um, the customers who are in trucking, that they are not like, oh, gosh, you know, what are you guys doing? You are abandoning me, right? So mm. so uh, uh, we, we really spoke with a number of, 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 you know, traditional trucking businesses to, to make sure that this is not somehow going to be uh, perceived as negative, right? That feedback kind of went into that corporate narrative and, and helped us to tighten it up and, and you know, make it really sort of compatible with, with all the target audiences we are, we are trying to reach. Hmm. What, was, what was maybe an early win post-rebrand for you, something that you noticed, okay, we're on the right track here because you're making some big bets with the name change and the messaging and making sure you're, you know, you're going to market, expanding to market even further what was an early win or maybe a favorite lesson or a favorite failure in the early days? Yeah, uh, th- there is lots that uh, obviously we are monitoring. Uh, you know, wh- one of the things that uh, you know is uh, when you rebrand uh, your company, y- your website uh, inbound traffic w- will go down, right? And and, and we, we expected that, we modeled it. 
Um, and uh, we basically had uh, implemented some measures to, to counter that, right, uh, through a more intense outbound uh, type of uh, set of activities. So, so we were prepared for that. I think, though, uh, you know, it, it happened exactly like we expected. Uh, the positive side was that we actually saw the recovery of the, if you'd like, the online brand equity uh, faster than uh, than anticipated. And, and so, so that was really encouraging, right? Uh, basically, uh, um, our, you know, demand generation side, pipeline generation, all of that started bouncing back pretty, pretty quickly, which uh, tells you that, uh, uh, you know, while it was disruptive, it wasn't like totally, um, you know, mm. killing killing the business in any way. It, it was really uh, well managed from that standpoint. Okay, that's awesome. You've written an article f- uh, on your blog, uh, Lubor on Tech, for those who are interested. <laughs> the title of this article was Subscription Fatigue and the Need for Meta Subscriptions. Super interested to talk to you about this. Uh, for our audience, can you describe the difference between subscriptions and meta subscriptions. Uh, yeah, that that kind of goes in a totally different uh, part of my life, but uh, but sure. So you know, we we all are familiar with subscriptions, right? Uh, you mentioned Spotify. I, I have Spotify. Uh, I, I have Audible. I have uh, you know a lot of the entertainment type of subscriptions uh, uh, for Netflix and uh, HBO and, and and Hulu and and so on, right? And um, basically. Um, here is the big difference that I see right now, right? Uh, while there's a lot of excitement about uh, subscriptions, I, I don't think the market has really sorted itself out yet, right? And uh, part of the reason is that I see huge differences between music and between uh, uh, kind of the video content, the, the, the what used to be TV, right? Uh, in music, you literally subscribe to Spotify or maybe Apple Music or, or you know Amazon Music and you get access to just about all music in the world, really, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there are bands from my, you know, I'm, I'm from Europe and from my high school days that, that I can find on Spotify today, right? Uh, which which is impressive, right? Now, you know, how different is the is the experience uh, in uh, the, the TV world where in order to watch a particular show, you have to subscribe to, uh, you know, sometimes channels that I didn't even know existed, Right. Or you want to watch a sporting event and you have to subscribe to a channel that is very exotic. Um, I, I don't believe that that's a very sustainable model. Uh, we see clearly that people are doing what the subscription companies hate. And that is, you know, you subscribe for a month, you you binge uh, everything you wanted to binge and then you drop off, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I did exactly the same thing with the Olympics, right? I subscribed for the Olympics yep. and then I drop off and, uh, you know, don't care anymore. And to me, that's kind of uh, a very flawed concept, right? Um, I, I would much rather see something like Spotify for TV, right? Where with one subscription, I get to access everything. Now, to me, that's a meta subscription, right? Spotify, if, if I want to listen to music, I, I don't need to know what label it's from, right? Uh, uh, I don't need to know wh- how it got created and who's getting money for it. Uh, all I just need to know is who's the singer and, and what was the name of the song. So, so ultimately, we need to get to something like that. Of course, we hope that we are not going to end up where we were with cable, which is that what everybody else is, um, what everybody was hating. And that is creation of packages where, you know, the 90% of the stuff you don't care about and you are paying for, right? So it has to be hopefully something better. Um, but uh, yeah, the world hasn't really sorted itself out. And um, uh, we'll have to see how it uh, how it ends up one day. That's super interesting. And I think I can totally see 
you know, a, a, cons- a segment of consumers really craving this sort of content, as you described, it's like how we like to operate normally. So let's create a subscription model that's more in line with, you know, what we the accessibility we want to pay for and we'll keep paying for versus these one-offs and give me your password, I'll just use it or I'll just sign up for a few days or a month and, and be out of there. And that's super interesting. Um, and I think it, it could be interesting in terms of like marketing products specifically. Like are, would you say that meta subscriptions could could be a good tool for marketing products? Potentially, right? Uh, the, the big question is always um, um, how much spillover from entertainment is there into software, right? And um, if you think about it, subscriptions in the media space are not new, right? I mean, we're subscribing to magazines 50 years ago. So, so that, that's a very well-recognized concept and, and they all know that business really well. Uh, whereas in software, it's only about 20 years old, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, now the question is, you know, uh, is there going to be a layer of uh, providers who might be able to actually package some of this together and, and provide you the kind of package that you actually really need, right? And maybe even a la carte, which is the beauty of the digital software distribution. Um, I, I think it's it's something that would be worth uh, exploring and, uh, and, and maybe seeing, hey, you know, is there a particular package where I can get few features from this, few features from that vendor, a few features from other vendor and and get my package kind of together the way I like it? That could be something, right? Uh, I don't think that we have seen it quite yet, but uh, who knows? Has anything shifted for you as a product marketing leader just in the past couple of years as the world has changed in terms of you and, and the strategic role of a product marketer? Have there been any sh- any shifts in how you view the customer experience, just your approach to product marketing in the last couple of years specifically? Yeah, very much so, right? I mean, the, the whole marketing discipline has gone through a massive evolution in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, what used to be more of an art is now much more a science, right? Uh, there's way more metrics than, than, than anything else. Uh, in fact, it's probably the most measured discipline a company other than sales, Right. Uh, which is which is really interesting, and uh, that that evolution has of course impacted product marketing. Now uh, th- there's a couple of uh, observations there. N- number one is that uh, the value of product marketing is becoming very well understood, right? Uh, I mean, I used to spend half of my days just justifying my existence and and the existence of my team, right? Back in you know 15 years ago in, in the on-premises times. Uh, now you don't have to do that. You know, if anything, the conversation is always, yeah, we know we are under-resourced in product marketing, you know, uh, we'll, we'll try to get, get you more, right? That, that, that's kind of a very different uh, tune. The other thing that has changed is um, um, the, the strategic importance of product marketing in terms of um, I'm having uh, a lot of conversations with companies where they start, like, you know, we, we, we have a great product, but we need better messaging, right? We need better product marketing which is kind of very refreshing because that was never the case. Mm. Where I see an ongoing challenge, and I I don't have a great solution for that yet, is uh, how do you measure that, right? How do you measure quality of messaging? How do you measure the impact of product marketing? Because, you know, the the secondary metrics are, of course, the marketing metrics, uh, pipeline, conversions, revenue, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, We we contribute to that and, and we should all be paying attention to that. But that's not a leading indicator of product marketing, right? That's mm. more like a trailing indicator of product marketing. Um, and so that's, that, that remains probably one of the areas that is to be uh, to be figured out. 
of course, if you have a very sophisticated consumer-oriented or, uh, or, or operation, you can do a lot of testing and you can measure that, and and that helps. But in in places like B two B marketing, where you know you might have five hundred customers all together, you can't do that kind of testing. You 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 won't get those kind of metrics, and so that that gets much trickier. How much of your role is kind of aligning and building trust with other executives on the team as a product marketing leader, kind of having to reach across the aisle and build rapport with the other executive leaders in the company? What does that look like today for you? And is that is that an important piece of kind of day-to-day? I, I think it's almost a definition of product marketing, right? Product, product marketing inherently is in the middle of uh, of a lot of uh, different groups. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, j- just the name, right? Products. So, so clearly we are interacting with the product teams. And uh, that's not just the product managers, but often the engineering teams, data science teams, and other teams in the organization, right? And then there is the marketing side, where clearly we are interacting with the the demand generation team and the branding teams, uh, because they all uh, need our input, right? They all need the messaging and and the content that product marketing creates and and, and the strategy that product marketing creates. In a well-run company, that goes beyond that, right? Because uh, usually you have other type of uh, uh, other parts of organizations that uh, interact with product marketing as well. Sales is a very obvious one, and, and a lot of product marketers obviously interact with sales very closely. Uh, but you know, I, I'm having discussions with support. I'm having discussions with customer success teams. I, I'm having discussions with IT. Uh, so, so that gets pretty exciting, right? Uh, recruiting. I actually had several conversations with recruiting just uh, in the last couple of weeks, right? About how do we better pitch the company uh, in, in our recruiting efforts? And, and that, that gets pretty exciting, right? Because mm. it, it shows you the, the pivotal role that product marketing plays in an organization. Where does retention play into just goals or things that you look for, just, just customer retention? Because that clearly, I could see it being an indicator at some point in the journey, but how much do you pay attention to that as a, as a product marketing leader? Yeah, I mean retention is huge, right? Because uh, retention is not always and not not only the the kind of the recurring revenue that we all want, but uh, it also provides a platform for upsell. Um, because if you are able to go back to your existing customers and sell them either more units or more products, uh, additional products, uh, it, it's a great market, right? Because you have a captive audience that you can communicate to very well, um, and so that's very critical. Uh, retention itself is also very critical because you want ultimately that your customers understand the value they are getting. And, and very often, um, it's not a secret, you know, customers usually use a fraction of the capabilities that a particular product can deliver, right? And so to be able to educate them about some of the additional opportunities, about the data that they are gathering and, and the power of, of all of that uh, is, is also part of the product marketing remit. Mm. What's the persona of the motive buyer? Like, who is that customer? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the, the typical personas are, of course, uh, organizations that have fleet operations, right? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, they, they have vehicles of, of uh, some type. Um, and uh, usually it's the fleet manager. Uh, sometimes it's the boss of the fleet manager, which might be somebody like COO. Uh, sometimes it's the safety manager, uh, depending on where, you know, from, from which kind of direction the company comes uh, to become our customer. Okay. Okay. Um, super interesting. So in terms of, you know, in this, in this kind of B2B world that you're in, that you're, that you're certainly playing in, you know, that these, these buyers can be elusive, right. And they're often making decisions in groups and they're hard to engage with and 
just curious about your approach in terms of just ABM and you know how you're doubling down on the customer experience or doubling down on prospect experience because it's such an interesting world. Yours is even more niche. You're trying to reach very specific people in charge of specific parts of the business. And so I'm just curious about your approach there to yeah, connecting with those with those personas yeah, and, yeah. and how you do that. And I'll start with correcting the word niche because, uh, you know, it, it, the, the physical economy represents 50% of the GDP. So uh, it, it's a big niche. Very good point. Touche. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah, you're right. Uh, there's a lot of them. Um, but, you know, to answer your question. Um, so, um, I mean, obviously, uh, testing uh, is very important, right? And testing can be done on many levels. And uh, Often it's kind of a function of the sophistication of the uh, of, of the marketing stack that you have in place, uh, how much you can automate testing, how much you can increase the frequency and granularity of your testing, right? Um, and, and you know, I'd be lying that you know if I was saying you know we have everything figured out like you know Amazon probably does, right? Uh, I mean they, they've been optimizing test stack for uh, three decades, so they are they're probably a little bit ahead of us. But you know we we do testing and. Uh, there's valid testing when you just call up a you know dozen customers and and ask them specific questions. Uh, we do customer surveys uh, um, and and that's very successful because we have a relatively large number of customers, right? Over 120,000 customers, and so uh, it is not that hard for us to get thousand responses. Um, uh, but but we are also increasingly doing online testing on the website uh, from you know anything from banners and and headlines uh, to see uh, what resonates better. Uh, all the way to some of the customer communication where, you know, the website is really more for prospects, right? That then you have kind of the customer areas like the help center and, and others where we, we, we test as well. So uh, th that's more the digital type of testing. Wow. And so with 120,000 customers, these are global, global customers, right? Or is it only U.S.? Uh, well, actually, uh, we operate uh, primarily in North America. So those okay. are primarily, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you know, transportation is is pretty local, right? I mean, you drive on roads, and so uh, mm -hmm. it's it's North America. So like, so U.S., Canada, Mexico. Yep. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. Awesome. That's super cool. So in terms of the marketing efforts in North America, again, you've got Spanish-speaking countries. You've got you know Canada just above us. But how much do you spend on the on just the marketing approach? Is it going to decentralize where there's folks in these areas that are focused on those customer segments in those areas? Do you approach high level? Okay, this is the messaging in, in South America and this is the, or sorry, in Mexico rather, right? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I see the difference between the market segments in terms of size. So uh, I, I'd say the value proposition, you know, something like driver safety or, or you know, tracking and telematics is pretty much the same for US and Canada okay. or Mexico or okay. probably in every country in Latin America. Um, but uh, there's a big difference between small business and, and a large business, right? And uh, uh, that's where we see uh, very different approaches in both marketing and, and then, you know, the overall go-to-market. So in a small business, you know, imagine that it's a tiny business, uh, maybe two-truck operation, right? And, and, and that's all, all they do. Well, you know, the, the, the business owner decision maker happens also to be the driver or maybe the, the person who kind of does the paperwork in, in the back office. And so the marketing is focused more on the immediate benefit you get very quickly. Um, you know, it just helps you. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the deal is usually a very short type of cycle, right? Mm. Um, whereas, you know, our enterprise customers, uh, companies with thousand, you know, and, and more uh, vehicles, fleets, uh, 
uh, it's a totally different ballgame, right? Because now you have all the different decision makers that are involved in making the, the decision. The buying decision is pretty significant, right? You are not talking about a few hundred dollars uh, every year. You are talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. And so uh, it's a classical enterprise sale at that point. And, and you need marketing uh, that can address the different personas. Uh, you need to understand what their particular concerns are. And you need to uh, really lean into, uh, all right, this is where they are now, right? Because they don't have a completely green field. And this is how they need to add uh, some of our capabilities to kind of augment what they are already doing today, right? Mm. Um, and so so it, it becomes a much more sophisticated type of marketing message and, and sales approach. Sure. You talked about AI and machine learning a bit. Are there other, other marketing trends that you're following closely and, and implementing at Motive? Yeah, so um, I, I mean, uh, AI and machine learning, we actually do a lot of that in our software. So, so obviously, we use it for marketing uh, to assess things like uh, propensity to buy and, and quality of prospects and, and things like that. Uh, but, but our own product actually uses a lot of machine learning. I mean, think about it, right? We have 700,000 vehicles uh, roaming the roads of North America, wow. each of them with devices collecting data through an IoT network, right? Mm -hmm. so, so we collect a lot of data and, and we do really smart things with the data from uh, basically being able to assess the risk, something like, you know, which of your drivers have maybe safety risks where they can be coached uh, so that you improve that. Um, all the way to uh, things like uh, making uh, fuel savings recommendations or um, um, helping them to uh, automate, uh, um, you know, something like uh, um, for compliance reasons, uh, the driver needs to be assigned to a particular trip, right? They often forget, just like all of us do. And, and so, so we can automate it, right? We use a machine learning to actually make the driver vehicle match automatically. So there's a lot of very sophisticated use of machine learning and AI in the product. Do you spend much time experimenting with things on the product marketing side, like just you know setting some time or resources aside to to do some R and D around product marketing? Yeah, I, I love doing that. I, I I would love to do more of that. Uh, obviously, rebranding the company has uh, kind of kept us a little busy. Indeed, uh, but uh, I, I think it's very important, right? Uh, I think it's important to experiment with um, new areas. I, I think it's important to. Uh, um, kind of play a lot with thought leadership, right? And thought leadership, the, the beauty of that is that you can do thought leadership about things that are tangentially interesting, but but really fun, right? And um, and I love that for uh, product marketing, um, as well as th th there's always kind of the next level of sophistication, right? Uh, I mean, I I'd be lying if I said that we are a product marketing organization where everything is perfect and, and all the strategy documents are top to bottom written up and, and all persona messaging is, is 100%, right? Like you always have an area where, you know, right now we are doing a lot of work on persona messaging. Next month, I want to do a lot of work on our case studies, right? Mm. Doesn't mean we don't have any, but but they could be better. I have some ideas and uh, and so, you know, we'll, we'll tackle that. Mm. So that's kind of how I approach product marketing. Uh, there's always something new, something fun. And it's also what makes product marketing kind of fun because it's never the same, right? Uh, it, it always keeps evolving. Now it looks like you, your, your, the beginning of product marketing was in the '90s for you. Is that accurate? In the '90s? Yeah, I'm dating myself, but yes. <laughs> okay, so so just a, a quick aside for for the audience here. Just what was the er, why product marketing in the early days for you? What did you get exposed to that really got your attention? Because you've stayed on the product marketing path now. If anyone you know checks out your background, you've got that 
in your background, deep expertise in product marketing, but it started somewhere. What was that start about? Yeah. So I'm actually engineer by uh, training. Of course, um, I, of course. I, I, <laughs> Engineering marketer, they're the best. I have a degree degree in computer science. Right? Oh, okay. And um, okay. I started as an engineer and that lasted for about a year okay. uh, because the marketing team discovered very, very quickly that I'm uh, quite outspoken and uh, not shy. And so they started uh, literally putting me in front of customers and prospects and uh, taking me on loan to uh, trade shows and, and conferences. Wow. And uh, within a year to th that led to uh, basically offering me a position in product marketing. And that's where I got stuck ever since. Wow. So ComSci <laughs> background developer that became this advocate for the company so much so that they said, hey, we need you to come on the road and we need you to get in front of people and start sharing that message that's a really cool organic way to get into product marketing. That's really cool. Yeah, and I, I am still very strong believer into uh, you know technical expertise, uh, understanding the product, and and just uh, having some of the foundation in terms of just just knowing how things work. Right, yeah. uh, it, it helps me so much even today to just quickly learn uh, a product. Right, and um, I, I think it makes me a better product marketer. What are you learning about right now on the, from product marketing on the product marketing side? What do you spend your time taking in to make yourself a better product marketing leader? Yeah, you know, uh, the the art of messaging is kind of a um, you know still a, a not completely sort of figured out uh, a methodology, right? And uh, like like what makes good messaging and bad messaging and. There's a lot of templates and, and there's a lot of kind of basic rules that, you know, you have a problem, you have a solution, you have a benefit. You know, everybody gets that, right? But, but actually getting it right and getting it good, um, that's still, you know, worth a lot of exploration. I've, I've been spending time on that. Mm, I, lo I love that. Um, okay, so let's shift into, think of a story, a time that you you faced a crucial moment in your career, you know, as a leader, the sort of moment that, can make or break a situation or an opportunity, right? So thinking of an experience you've had, and then we're gonna unpack that story to kind of understand it. I was in a company where we got acquired, right? Okay. Um, and, um, you know, initially it, it sort of seemed like a great fit and, and you know, we, we will be acquired and uh, hey, you know, we, we can keep doing what we've been doing and uh, it will all go great, right? Um, but but uh, relatively soon, we've discovered that actually our customers and the customers of that company are quite different, right? And it turned out that there was a significant difference. We, we used to uh, sell our products to companies who were manufacturing companies, and they were providing certain services to their customers who basically bought the service just like they bought the manufactured product, right? Uh, the company that acquired us was actually a manufacturing company themselves. And so all our customers were actually tech competitors. Um, so, so that was, you know, we, we sort of gotten over that discomfort, like, yeah, you know, we'll continue serving some of your competitors. And uh, most of them were okay with that. But um, then we had basically a big opportunity and it was the customers of our new owners um, who were operators, right? So those were the companies who would buy stuff and they would, they would run it. Um, but we did not have a offering for those kind of companies. We, we did not have anything to tell them, right? I, I was literally told that I can have a meeting with the CIO of, uh, you know, any of the of the customers of, of our new owner uh, the next day, uh, but uh, I did not have a story to tell them. 
And, and so that was kind of an interesting time where we had to basically huddle up and figure out, uh, okay, what do we do about it? All uh, right, these are different companies. There's a fair amount of similarities in terms of how they operate and how they could use our product, but uh, we, we don't talk to them today. We don't have a message and we really don't look like we have an offering. And so what we ended up doing is uh, we ended up um, repackaging our product, uh, which really was more of a marketing innovation than anything else, right? Um, the technology stack remained pretty much the same, uh, but uh, the, the, the package was really new brand, new, new name of the product, uh, new nomenclature behind it, uh, new set of messages, uh, value propositions specific for the operators rather than the, the manufacturers, right? And a whole go-to-market uh, set of activities where we've identified uh, what uh, spaces are we going after and uh, and how we're going to reach them. So, so that was kind of an interesting uh, experience. Hmm. Did this change your mindset after the situation? Was there any kind of final takeaway from the experience that others can learn from as well? So the takeaway was that it it, it works, right? Um, you you can absolutely repackage your product and and have basically two different offerings that are looking different on paper, but under the hood they are the same technology, right? And uh, you can be and you have to be quite holistic about the approach, right? Um, so so uh, you have to have different go to market action. You have to have different messaging, different value propositions. And ultimately, uh, you need to understand the customer, right? And and because the customers were different, we we, we had to basically build that expertise uh, in in the company, which previously didn't exist. Hmm. Do you spend much time thinking about a B two C approach to this B two B world that you're in? We, we a lot of times we're hearing marketers that are gleaning from the B two C world and bringing some of these strategies, approaches into this B2B world now, especially with customer expectations really high in these days. So just curious about your perspective there, if you if you draw a lot from the B2C world. Yeah, th- that's interesting. So so uh, it's probably not very systemic, right? Uh, I, I think that there are two kinds of situations where this happens. Uh, one is, of course, the smaller the target companies are, the closer to B2C they start looking, right? Mm. I mean, if you are selling to a very small business, right? Um, uh, it starts becoming and behaving almost like a consumer type of situation, right? I mean, even consumers are not always buying something for pleasure and entertainment. Uh, we, we also buy things that we need and, and we need to convince to be uh, of the fact that we need them. And, and so that, that starts becoming kind of like that, right? So even at Motive, I already mentioned that we sell to uh, large companies, but also to some of the very small one and, ones, and, and uh, uh, that would be probably uh, pretty similar. The second situation comes uh, when you start thinking about specific personas and their motivations, right? Uh, And that's something that a lot of people underestimate, right? Uh, Because ultimately, even in a large company, in a B2B type of opportunity, the stakeholders, uh, they are evaluating the risk of backing you as as an offering, right? Versus the personal gain they get out of, uh, you know, potentially going with you and and being successful, right? Mm. And actually unpacking that and understanding those motivators uh, is quite interesting because, uh, I mean, ultimately, we are all humans. We, we all are working for number one, at, you know, first and foremost. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, th- those are probably similar kind of uh, approaches that you would see in B2C. Mm. What metrics are you 
tuning into more frequently than others? Is there like top two to three metrics that you're evaluating on a weekly, monthly basis? If so, have you reprioritized metrics at all in the past couple of years? Or like, what are kind of the things you're paying attention to on a yeah weekly, monthly basis? Yeah, the, the, the metrics tend to be uh, probably the standard ones that we pay attention to. Okay. I mean, obviously the pipeline, um, so, so, you know, MQLs, SQLs, uh, conversion rates. And then when it gets to opportunities, win rate is a really big metric, right? And and win rate is, is always interesting to kind of do the next level of double click. I mean, all metrics are, of course, interesting to do the next level double click. But win rate, you know, uh, if you are winning or losing, is it because of the product? Is it because of budgets? Is it because of, you know, not getting access to the, you know, decision makers? Uh, that gets super interesting. Another factor there is, of course, competitive uh, scenarios, especially if you are in a highly competitive uh, industry, you know, are you losing constantly to, to the same guys or or is it kind of spread across and it's uh, it's it's a little more random or, or you know, maybe a reason for other factors. So, yeah, definitely paying a lot of attention to those kind of data points. Okay, great. This has been awesome. Let's do some, uh, some fun lightning round questions. Are you ready? <laughs> Uh, sure. Okay. Labor, this has been great. You've been an awesome guest. So let's uh, let's get into it. Before we ask the first question, I have to give a special shout out to our partner and sponsor, Salesforce Marketing Trends is a podcast that's brought to the world by Salesforce. So thank you, Salesforce. Uh, when you think about marketing and engagement being together, think Salesforce. And you can head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing for more information. Okay. First question uh, Labor on your Twitter bio, it says that you're an adventure seeker. What sort of adventures do you pursue? Oh, uh, it, it's an endless list, but uh, I, I am big into uh, all kind of uh, physical adventure fun. Uh, I, I am a marathon runner and ultra marathon runner. I, I ran the Boston Marathon five times. Wow. I love climbing mountains. Uh, I love hiking. Uh, I, I love sailing. Uh, so yeah, you, you can... Uh, when I have time on weekends, you usually find me somewhere outdoors. Wow, Boston Marathon five times. <laughs> I think I think there's a YouTube video somewhere of you on the Boston Marathon. By the way, there's something. Uh, probably, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Um, next question: What was the last time you tried something new? Um, you know, I try something new all the time, but uh, in the personal life, uh, the, the pandemic was kind of transformative because I was a little more stuck home mm. uh, than, you know, climbing mountains and doing all those fun things. Uh, there were no marathons. And so uh, I kind of raised my game on the home improvement uh, projects. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've tackled a couple of interesting things that I never thought I would be doing myself. And uh, yet I did it. Okay. What is a life lesson you learned the hard way? I, I mean, you know, the, the biggest one is probably... <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm not going to talk about personal investments, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of hard lessons there. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, t taking risks is kind of an important part of uh, what uh, makes people successful, right? And uh, uh, you always actually reap the biggest rewards when you get out of your comfort zone and, and do something that you have not done, whether it's in personal life or in professional life. I'm probably more thinking right now of professional life. Like the risk taking is kind of really key. That's good. I, I like that answer. That's 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 no one's no one's quite said that yet. And I, I just appreciate the language and it it certainly it goes personal, professional. That's a that's a good one. Okay. 
what is one activity that makes you lose track of time? Uh, it's probably running. Uh, I, I can run forever. Of course, it's kind of a maybe not completely honest answer because uh, as a runner, you always have a watch and, and you are watching your pace. But uh, uh, gosh, I, I got lost uh, uh, running through the streets of uh, Rotterdam once uh, uh, and literally lost. And I was almost uh, late to my keynote presentation because uh, <laughs> I went for a short five mile run and ended up running 13 miles. So uh, yeah, oh, I have proof that I can get lost. <laughs> okay. Okay. Would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new memories? I'll ditch the old ones in a heartbeat. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is something that you are betting on for the future? It could be personally betting on an industry or, or an idea or a concept, or it could be professionally, but what's something you're betting on for the future? I think technology is kind of, you know, being an engineer at heart, uh, I, I, I am betting on technology in, in a lot of different areas of our lives. Uh, right now, you know, the, the one that's kind of uh, going through my head is is a lot uh, uh, related to some of the physical things, right? And, uh, you know, we, we've done so much uh, amazing progress with mobile phones and, and kind of the digital stuff. But um, I, I read a lot of science fiction. We are still not flying in space easily. And, and we are still not, you know, we don't have flying cars. But you know what? Those things are coming. And uh, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of exciting. So I'm, uh, I, I don't know if I'm betting on it, but I, I'm re really excited about, you know, what the next 20 years will look like. Okay. With a, a number of companies, a number of brands exploring this potential of virtual worlds and Web3. And what do you make of this? Do you have any thoughts on this? I do. I, I have to admit, I'm still very skeptical um, because, uh, you know, I've been there in the times of Second Life and it wasn't great. Yep. And, yep. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so uh, you know, I have to be proven wrong. You know, again, I, I read science fiction, I, I, you know, Ready Player One or, or uh, Snow Crash, uh, some of my favorite books. And uh, I want it to be true. Uh, but I'm skeptical, right? It will have to be basically an, an amazing experience. It will have to be adding to our experience and maybe replacing uh, some of what we are unable to do in the physical world, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm looking at uh, you know the, the trails and I'd rather go out there than running on them uh, in virtual world. I hear you. What is something that impresses you? Um, so, so with people, it's it's competence, right? When somebody knows their stuff, and it can be on any level of, of job. Uh, like, you know, I, I'm doing some home improvement projects and like some of the people, like they, they, are, they know their stuff and like that, that impresses me, right? And of course that goes uh, across uh, all professions, uh, you know, from uh, a product marketing manager to a CEO, right? Like that's, yeah, when people know their stuff, that's impressive. That's good. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? Past, future? Yeah, that's a. I, I would probably go in the past okay. just because I do like history. I know I said I would ditch the old <laughs> memories, yeah. but uh, it doesn't mean that history gets erased, right? Uh, um, I, I like uh, the 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 uh, Renaissance time. Florence sounds mm. like an interesting place to be. Uh, okay. It must have been really exciting. At this stage in your life, what is success for you now? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I, I mean, other than, you know, paying bills, like uh, a lot of people who have to do that, um, I, I really think that, um, you know, success is kind of a combination of uh, having fun at what you are doing, uh, you know, learning, 
uh, engaging with people. And, and and gosh, that that part is kind of important. I like I, I like working from home. I, I think that that's the future. But uh, like we spend so much time together, you know, doing work, and we better are having some fun because otherwise, uh, you know, it's kind of sad. So so uh, yeah, to to me, kind of getting all of that right. Um, but but ultimately, I'm sorry, I'm maybe evolving my answer as I'm speaking. Uh, success is kind of getting the balance right, right? So uh, you want to be successful at work, but it can't be that you don't have uh, weekends and and you don't have family and 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 you don't get to do anything fun, right? Actually, getting it all right that feels like good success. I like that. What is? I think I'm. I think I know your answer to this based on earlier. But what is your favorite app on your phone? Uh, it, it's Audible. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that was my guess. Okay. What's a skill? What's one skill you believe everyone should have? You know, I think it's a communication skill, and uh, I, I know it's uh, it's very broad, uh, and and I, I think of it that way, right? Uh, it's being able to persuade others. It's, it's being able to negotiate. It's being able to uh, uh, be interesting. Uh, leadership is all about communication, so I, I think communication skill is is really key. Last question. What is one thing you would like to do this year that you've never done before? Yeah, it's travel. Um, okay. uh, you know, just like most of us, we've been kind of stuck at home for uh, too long now, and uh, I need to travel. I, I would love to visit some new places. Uh, I keep threatening uh, with Alaska to my family. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I would love to do something like that. Okay, fantastic. Well, Labor, thank you so much for, for being on the show. This was a insightful conversation. Um, congrats to you in your first year at Motive. I know it's an exciting time and congratulations to you and the whole team there. And thank you for being on Marketing Trends. This was fantastic. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great fun. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.